Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. Bonjour. How are we doing? We are good. Where have we been? <laughs> well, uh, well, where have we been? Collectively, as a yeah, unit. <laughs> <laughs> nowhere, everywhere, possibly. I, I've spent my time in the northwest of England for seemingly uh, the, the last however long, uh, and then the week after next as well. But uh, yeah, there we go. So let's, um, yeah, on, on that vein, sorry we're a little bit late, but Monaco wasn't that great. Then things got so busy, the election got silly, but Canada's here to set us straight. That's good. That's for, you know, short notice. That was good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad, is it, really? Um, yes, so we are uh, back to take you through two GPs worth and we are going to attempt to do this in under an hour because we're still really busy so there you go there's not much we can do about that unfortunately um starting with uh, as I said not the most exciting Monaco Grand Prix we've ever had uh to witness well, possibly one of the worst Monaco Grand Prix that I've ever had to witness as far as I'm concerned um yeah I mean Obviously, the argument from here is these new regulations, these new cars are that little bit wider. It's that little bit more difficult to follow. Do they work around Monaco is the is the big sort of thing that, that I took from the weekend. Yeah, I because... think the answer to that is, is no, isn't it, really, in the most simplest terms. <laughs> Never has a Formula One car been so out of kilter with the track that it's on. Because I agree with you, more or less, that it, it wasn't good i i left the day quite pleased with the result in the end as someone who's supporting seb for his title bid this year but taking those um glasses off and and looking at it objectively from a neutral fan it, it wasn't it wasn't great uh, you know the the highlight was um was jensen's you know pinning poor um <laughs> was it pascal was it verlein or was it Marcus, it was a server, wasn't it? Up against the, the arm. Yes, it was Verlein. It was Verlein, yeah. And, and and obviously we can laugh about it because he was perfectly fine. Um, but had he had he not been fine, it obviously wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a, a particularly laughing matter. But just seeing that server parked on its side um, was a little bit humorous. But um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very good. The, the big talking point, you know. Kimi and Vettel, Ferrari dominating the show. The the team, the team tactics, shall we say, from Ferrari, the strategy. Yeah, I'm. Well, you are the Ferrari guy. So, what was your take on it? Because it it seemed to be in the eyes of uh, the F1 community to be quite a controversial, you know. Um, controversial situation but I, I wonder what your well I, I said from day one that this would happen you know I don't I, I never went into the season expecting anything other than Raikkonen to be the number number two driver so for me it was entirely unsurprising 
and thus not a big concern for me. It just to me, it was just business. It was just a business as usual. This is the way it is at Ferrari. You know, they have a number one and a number two, and and Seb's number one, and and that's fine. You know, I've long since made my peace with that. So from that point of view, I was fine with it. Uh, having said that, I think Seb deserves credit that it was perhaps not given to him in certain quarters of the F1 media and the immediate aftermath of the race for, for making it work. Yeah, Ferrari, and he ended up on the favourable strategy. Nobody can doubt that. But he had to go out there and put the, you know, the quick laps in when it mattered. He sat behind Kimi for the good first half of the race, bided his time, and the second he got clean air, he smashed in a lot of good laps to ensure that he made the strategy work. So it wasn't just like Ferrari brought Kimi in out of, you know, completely out of pattern to ensure that Vettel goes through. They simply, Vettel simply stayed out a little bit longer and smashed a lot of quick laps in to, to come, out, uh, come out ahead. So this wasn't Schumacher and Barrichello. Barrichello was literally slowing down on the line kind of Ferrari nonsense. Vettel deserves the credit for putting in I can't remember how many, a solid 10 laps, I think, of of genuinely race-winning, quick, you know, flat-out laps. And certain people weren't didn't seem to be giving him that credit after the race, which was a bit uh, a shame. So, sure, you can have a dig at Ferrari if you want, but for me, it was as much as Vettel making it work as anything. Yeah, good. I'm glad you said that. Um... I had. I wondered if your opinion might be, well, so what? If that's what Ferrari feel is the best thing to do, then they're entitled to do that. There's nothing in the rules against it. Uh, if you don't like it, too bad. You know, you don't. You know, you're not personally forking out uh, <laughs> 250 million pounds a year to, or whatever ridiculous sums it is to to race a Formula One car at the the, the front of the field. Uh, which, to be fair, is actually a justifiable response. You know. It is up to Ferrari how they race their cars. If they want to say that Vettel's number one and Kimi's number two and that at all times Kimi will move over for Seb um, if it comes down to it, well, then that's you know that's their choice. They certainly pay Seb a lot more money than they do Kimi, so it would seem like a sensible return on investment, if nothing else. Um, it's a little bit like buying a £50 million striker and a £5 million striker and then... You know, expect expect stub off the five million striker for the fifty million. Yeah, like obviously. Oh, he was having a good game. You how, how dare you sub him off? Well, I, I you know tried to put on the guy. I thought it was going to do better, and is probably going to do better for having the game time. Yeah, so I am more or less of the mindset of yeah, Ferrari can do what they want, but I definitely think that that Seb wasn't necessarily getting the credit he deserved there. He put in some seriously quick laps, and and he won the race for himself. Uh, and I think a bigger talking point, personally, was where the hell were the Mercedes pace? <laughs> well, I mean, that in itself was odd. Just, well, what just going that... back to the to the Ferrari thing, the thing I would like my my big defence of it came was Ricardo did exactly the same thing, and there's you quite clearly know that you know there's no there's no reason for them to do that between Ricardo and Max because they're quite happy to let those two race. So. Mm-hmm. The fact that Ricardo did exactly the same strategy and it worked in exactly the same way for him, I think just goes to show that it just turned out to be the right strategy to be on. And yeah, it wasn't every- like there, there wasn't a cold, malicious plan for it to be that way. Strategies evolve as you go through the race. They pitted Kimi thinking it was the right thing to do. And as the race developed, it transpired that it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. 
but it wasn't like uh as i say like a, a schumacher-esque you know absolute daylight robbery uh, no. that, that we that we had been treated to occasionally back in the day so people getting a wee bit too a wee bit too excited by it i think um, outside of uh, of that moment, there wasn't very much to talk about other than the fact that the uh, Mercedes were so um, desperately poor. Um, uh, did anything come to light to to, to say why that was? Or no, we... Lewis um, made some very what I felt were quite smarmy comments about when Ted Kravitz asked him to explain what what the problems were with the car and stuff. And he said, "Oh, it was too complicated." Don't you know? So I'm not going to try and explain it. It's like, oh, well, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> so no, um, other than suggesting it wasn't anything to do with the drivers, it was the cars. Seems to be it. Seems to have been an off track for them, for whatever reason. That that's all we're going to get out of it. I guess it's going to happen. Happen during the year. Yeah. That you know they're going to come up against you know now that the cars are much closer comparatively they're going to find times where if the mercedes isn't on it uh from the off that they aren't you know able to just power through and and stay ahead of everybody so that's what i took from that really not much um a bit better showing from red bull ricardo finished the third um, yeah yeah we did i did think that monaco of all places would probably suit the red bull a little bit but, yeah, they're, they're waiting for Singapore now, really, aren't they, for their next... Uh... Yeah, maybe Hungary, somewhere like that, possibly. But, I mean, Baku won't really suit them. Silverstone won't really suit them. Yeah, Silverstone, definitely not. Austria won't suit them. So, yeah. <laughs> Ironically. Which is, which is amazing, because it's their own track. Um, <laughs> Monza definitely won't suit them. Spa won't really suit them. So, yeah, yeah you know, it's... It's tricky for Red Bull. I mean, we'll get on to Canada and they did a little bit better today. But yeah, it's not really <sighs> starting to look a little bit like when do we start looking at 2018 for them now? And that's a bit of a shame given that we're only seven races in or whatever it is. Mm. But they know that they're quite clearly in that limbo position of not going to, if, if, if two Mercedes or two Ferraris finish the race, they, they aren't going to win the race. Simple as that. Um, but at the same time, realistically, they're probably not in any threat from from behind. So, yeah, what point do you say, well, we can keep doing what we do and develop this car only to finish third in the Constructors' Championship, or will we try and get ourselves a World Championship winning car for next year? And that will come sooner than you probably think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's... Um... I mean, you're probably looking at Silverstone onwards, they'll probably start looking at next year. Yeah, I, yeah, you don't know where they're really going within this rule set, do you? I think that's the that's the thing. Is I don't. There's probably still scope for progression and development because they're still finding out a lot about the rules and stuff. So they probably they probably view next season as being you know between 2017 and 2018. There's probably a bigger chunk of time to be made than at any other point over the last without you know 2016 2017 obviously was complete you know on its head but you know for me going into 2018 they'll have had a season they built with the new regs you know every race is like a massive test session with these these regulations so they must surely think going into 2018 they'll have so much they'll have learnt this season 
that the, the, every team should be looking at you know making up a lot of ground going into 2018. And for a team like Red Bull, who's clearly not got the package to win races this season, they they must be thinking, okay, we've not done it. We're, we're, we're a bit behind here, but we've got all of that. We've got all this data now about these new regulations. We can we can get some serious put together for the following year. And I've said all of that, the aero package is probably pretty good. So maybe they need to put pressure on the engine. I'm not sure. What What is the engine development rules going into 2018? Can we develop the engines? Are they frozen? No, no, the the uh, freezing and tokens and all the stuff were all removed last year. So or at the so, end of last year. So we can have a completely free reign on engine development going into 2017 and 2018. Is that yep. is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, Red Bull definitely then must be thinking next season if we can get the engine improved a couple of tenths a lap keep keep working hard at the aero which is obviously pretty decent anyway yeah you know, there's no reason why they can't they can't be thinking race winning car next season and and given how they've started this season that will surely be on their minds i would think yeah i, I do i I'd probably agree with that generally um uh other things to take from Monaco, uh, bad day for the Force Indies as well. 12th yeah. Yeah, a rare off day because they have been, I'll, I'll eat my hat on on the Force Indies all season if anybody goes back and listens to the um, to the, the pre-season show. Uh, I'll be uh, eating the humble pie on that one. I didn't think they were going to have a very good season. Clearly they have. But yeah, a bit strange. It's a bit strange at Monaco. What do you reckon that was? Just the, the track not suiting them? Uh, I think so. Uh, I, I think if you... I think Force India's best qualities are based around the power of the Mercedes unit and uh, probably an under-aeroed car, maybe. Might be the, the nice way of putting it. Uh, yeah, the slippery in a straight line kind of thing. Tough to pass. So I think that's... That's where the the Force India is at its best, uh, and obviously that is the antithesis um, of a power track in Monaco. So you could put a line through it, move on. Yeah, not not their yeah, day, no, but better not. better days to come. Well, indeed. <laughs> um, lots of DNFs: Stroll, Kvyat, Van Dorn, Ericsson. Verline, Button, and Hulkenberg, all DNFs. Not that uncommon at Monaco. I mean, five of them are crashes, so yeah, uh, not uncommon. Uh, what did you make of Button then getting back in the car? The best thing of the weekend was Button getting a grid penalty. And in the brackets, if he ever has another race, close yeah. bracket. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite funny. Um, well, we say it's funny until Alonso decides to quit and go and do IndyCar in the <laughs> he has to come back and fill the seat and then goes, oh yeah, here's that that three-place grid penalty or whatever he's got. Um, I, think he, I thought he did all right. I think the, the problem was is that even with their better aero package, they still couldn't pass anybody. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That was the problem is that under, under normal circumstances, the big aero would have let them get closer to people and you know, break the power deficit. But because the cars couldn't pass anyway, there was no, you know, Button was going as fast as the leaders, but unable to pass anybody. 
uh, you know, he ends up stuck behind Verline for ninety percent of the race, and then goes, "Well, if it, <laughs> it's not going to happen, so I'm going to shove gonna, one up the inside. I'm going to make a lunge at Portier. You know, <laughs> you've got about a fifty-fifty chance of that move." coming off because it is entirely reliant on the that's probably being generous on the percentage yeah, wise as well maybe. yeah but it, it, your your success depends entirely on the person on the inside uh being aware that they've left enough room like when hulkenberg did it to button you're talking about I was going to say, a, a world-class dr- two you know real world-class drivers uh, and one is a former world champion who's very he's got really good you know racecraft and race sense um you know made sure he didn't turn in on the guy just because you know oh nobody nobody ever takes a podier um and i think verline didn't i think verline if he'd looked over his right shoulder to to think about where he'd positioned his car um yeah really you need to be overtaken and you know an alonso or a raikkonen or a vettel or a button etc the guy you the guy you're lunging up the inside there has to be someone who's been around the block and <laughs> and preferably didn't crash into a static barrier at the race of champ <laughs> break his neck. Well, that would help. <laughs> but yeah, once he was all right, it was kind of amusing for me to see him parked up on the, just the side of the car. <laughs> just on the side, yeah. <laughs> like it was the commentators took like five <clears throat> about you know, half a minute or something to kind of realize what was going on. They're like, wait a minute, is that car? Is that <laughs> car? <laughs> it was pretty amusing. <laughs> but thank God, you know, I like Pascal. Thank God he was okay. So well, the thankful thing about that is that it's a very low speed corner. So yeah. not 90 degree right hand corner. There was only so much <clears throat> kinetic energy into that. And with all the roll cages and bits and pieces, you know, he was never going to be in, in danger. It, it probably just was just a bit uncomfortable until they um, could peel him off the wall. Um, there you go. So, yeah, for in, in terms of what it did to the championship, I, I, I was happy with the race because... I'd rather have, at this stage, Vettel ahead and Hamilton chasing because I think that brings out the best in Hamilton. When Hamilton's out front, it's just more dull. Uh, I think that's fair. I don't know what it is. It's just... I don't think I could put that into words why I feel that's true, but I do. Is it perhaps just because we've seen him lead so often for the last two or three Well, no. I think it's about... I think it's a, it's still about personalities and, and driving in bits and pieces in that um, just just if Seb leads a whole entire race, I'm still quite interested to hear what he has to say after the race. And I'm, I'm not with Lewis at all. I'd yeah, rather, that's, I would agree with that. I'd rather Lewis was chasing and had to explain, you know, what he was doing to try and catch up. And, you know, when he has a good race, he tends to talk about it more when it's you know it's not so easy um so i was kind of like oh this is this is good now he's there's a big big distance between them <clears throat> he's got to push even harder um and i think it you know when we come to talk about canada i think it shows um in in his performance in qualifying especially uh that that, that that's true and i think the longer we can maintain a decent gap uh, the better, um, you know. Personal, personal choice about who I'd like to see win. Aside, you know, if I said it didn't matter to me about whether Lewis or Seb won the championship this year, because it seems to be it's a two-horse race. Um, if that's the case, then I want 
Lewis chasing Seb for the season, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. I think everything you said is fair there. Um, not much more to add other than I was quite there happy. Really <laughs> it was, I, I mean, it, it was dull, but it was one of those races where I am so aligned to a particular team or a particular driver that I find it difficult. I can be, I can be really unhappy with a, a tremendous Grand Prix if the result doesn't go my way. And I can be absolutely ecstatic with the dullest of races. And this was one of the days where it was a dull race. It was 90 minutes to two hours of, yeah, not much has gone on here. But I left, I left the day feeling absolutely delighted because Seb left the track with a 25-point lead. Lewis finished in seventh, had no pace all weekend. Sebastian had a relatively comfortable victory. So even though it was a dull race, I find it quite, my, my mind finds it difficult to, to, to sort of different, like separate that out. I was still absolutely delighted. So, um, and the kind of reverse uh, regarding Canada. So yeah, it's funny how this game quickly takes with one hand and, and gives uh, with the other. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's move over to Canada. Um, literally polar opposites, weren't they? Diff- completely different track, completely different race, completely different levels of racing. Um, a just a thoroughly enjoyable Grand Prix that was. It was. I, I really cannot stress because I, you know, we get it, or I specifically get it in the neck a lot from people because I complain vehemently about the state of racing in Formula One. Um, and I know I'm a curmudgeonly old bugger who doesn't, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't delight in the merest uh, hint of an overtake or anything like that. Um, so I want to be clear that when I talk about a good Grand Prix, pretty much this this Grand Prix was it. Um, I, I'd have liked it if there'd been like a safety car at the end that had bunched the yeah filled up for the last 10 laps that would have made it like probably amazing but i think regardless I think it, sorry Karen. no 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 finish i'm finished i was gonna say if if we'd got a safety car just as ferrari were looking to do their second stop and it kind of brought lewis and bottas back to the pack with ferrari having quicker tires but trying to chase them down or something like that and I mean, maybe if the safety car came out, then the, the Mercs would have pitted probably as well, just to be on the safe side and stuff. But we, we might have got you know, a battle for the first two positions as well as third, fourth, fifth and sixth. That was mm-hmm. the only downside, was that the, the front two got away a little bit and without the safety car towards the end, they were never going to come back the way. Having said that, though, it was <laughs> there was so much going on everywhere else that it was one of those days where, yeah, Lewis never even had to look in his mirrors once, but it was okay because there was enough going on everywhere there was some seriously interesting subplots um mainly due to Vettel being out of position and coming through the field so today going back to what I was saying a minute ago this is a prime example of a legitimately excellent neutral Grand Prix for enough for any fan and I've come away feeling much more disheartened than I was in Monaco because for me all I could think is of oh well if Vettel hadn't got tagged at the first corner by Max we should have had that race won as a Ferrari fan, or certainly not. Certainly would have challenged for the victory. Maybe would have not won. Maybe wouldn't have been able to beat Lewis. We know how good he is around Canada. But uh, so I, I'm coming away 
feeling a little bit downbeat, even though it was so good. Uh, I could fully appreciate how good it was. And I, I actually, I should probably be happy that, that Sev managed to get back into to fourth in the end because I didn't think he was going to get that high up about halfway through the race. So, so really, I've, I've, you know, we're, 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 you know, it's literally the day of the event. So it's, everything's still pretty fresh. If it, um, you know, if I sit and think about it, I probably would come to the conclusion that yeah, fourth was a good recovery mission given the circumstances. But all I've got at the front of my mind is damn Max. If you hadn't clipped him, what could we have had up front there? We could have had a serious, serious, you know, battle on between the Reds and the Mercs up front. It's still a very, very good show. Um, I'll still give Sebastian my driver of the day for his recovery drive, even though um, I'm sure there'll be quite a a large clamouring for Lewis to get it because he was faultless. He was absolutely faultless up front. Yeah, I'm. I'm always kind of loath to give driver of the days to um, to guys who flawlessly win races at the front because they generally don't have to do anything. Do you know what I mean? I, I prefer to give it to somebody who's had to. Uh... Exactly, and you know what it's like in these in a modern F1. You know, if you're up front, you do get the benefit of clean air, sort of dictating the strategy all of those kind of things. So yeah, Lewis was absolutely faultless. Don't have a negative word to say about his performance. And actually, you alluded to it earlier, he kind of won it in qualifying. Qualifying was his, his best moment of the weekend, where, he, where he, he, was, he was properly, properly sublime in qualifying. Um, it was, it was a amazing. Uh, you know, uh, again, people may complain that we, we, we moan about Lewis a lot, but you know, we, we well, praise that, that the guy was, when he, he requires it. And th- yeah. that lap was just... When Seb was four one-thousandths of a second off, I was just like, wow, that's two guys going all out. And then Lewis put three-tenths on top of that lap, and I was just like, well, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> that was and that, That's as good as it gets. Uh, that was as good as it gets. I think it was the, the quickest ever lap yep. um, of of Canada. Obviously, these cars helping that lap records are going all the time this season. But yeah, that was seriously, seriously good. And that set him up for the race because he had pole. He was able to get off the line. He was able to get off in front. And then and he, he managed it. all the chaos that was behind him, wasn't it? Exactly. Was and then he managed He managed the gap. He did what Vettel did for years at Red Bull. He's done what Lewis has done for the last three seasons. They dictated the pace of the race. They managed the strategy. And But he never had to get out of second gear. So the, uh, the, it was a case of the race winning moment was a combination of the sublime quality lap and then getting off the line and avoiding the trouble. And everything else was just, uh, it was more or less a stroll, wasn't it? <laughs> more or less. More <laughs> well, <on>. no. <laughs> Be careful now. <laughs> no, we can't really use that phrase anymore. Now that... <laughs> no, only unless he has a very bad afternoon, possibly. <laughs> it was very much a lance. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, you know what I mean. It was, it was, yeah. um, it was, it was the, um, yeah, it was the Vettel. It was the, it was the last two or three seasons as Lewis. It was the get off in front, and you know you should avoid all the trouble and and not get past. Can we have a word on Valtteri Bottas? I have a feeling you would like to. <laughs> uh, yes, I would. <coughs> Sorry, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, right. I, was, I was trying to get to the mute, the mute button, but the cough just came out. Right, so I, was, <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't that. Bad. I'm going to mute for. Like, I need. I really need to clear my throat. So I'm going to need. I'll mute. I'll mute for ten seconds. One second. I'll talk whilst Sean is uh, coughing his guts up. Um, I don't understand how Valtteri Bottas comes out second in the second corner. There is a safety car, so he he uh, closes up to uh, Lewis. Uh, there's a, a virtual safety car, which saves a bit of tyres and a bit of fuel. I have no inkling how that leads to him finishing the race 20 seconds behind his teammate, even with Lewis um, in the form of his life. I just... I, I don't know. What's that? 70 laps, 20 seconds? How many? What's that? Three tenths of three tenths of a second a lap. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the whole race, though. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it is a fairly chunky margin, but I don't know. Lewis is just very, very good at Canada. He's, he's six times he's won there. I think it's maybe a little harsh, a little harsh to have too big of Valtteri. What would what would have been an acceptable margin to lose to Lewis? You know, if if maybe he'd been like seven or eight seconds down the road, that would have said, "I've followed you all race and not made a you know, and but not been close enough to get to you." Twenty seconds is um, either okay. I, either either I didn't try or I'm just wasn't good enough. Not quick and enough. That's. Oh, you I know, have an interesting question. How far do you think Nico Rosberg would have been behind today? Yeah, that's that was what I was going to say, and you know, if people want to have a go at how good they think Nico Rosberg was. I think know. Nico would have been within ten seconds for sure. Yeah, I think. I so. think he would have been within five seconds for most of the race, and when when clear that in equal machinery they weren't going to be able to pass, he'd have turned the power down and finished about ten seconds behind, probably. Yeah, that's 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 my feeling. I uh, I felt this was a bit of a whimper from Valtteri that uh, it was just a bit, you know, and. Without trying to get controversial or conspiracy or anything like that, you know, you, you wonder how much he was motivated to really challenge Lewis today. Um, uh, that that that's where I think it's interesting because I and it goes back to what I was saying about Kimmy. As for me, there was never and never any discussion or never any debate about who was number one and number two. And guys in the F one on Sky and in the media can say things like, "Oh, but we're only three races into the season." You know, oh, we're only four, four races into the season. Surely they've got to let them race. And it's like, it doesn't matter if they're one race into the season. If there's a number one and a number two, there's a number one and there's a number two. And and for me, that, that much is just so, so clear right from Albert Park. You know, we have two very, very clear number one drivers and two very, very clear number two drivers. Whereas last season, it wasn't like that with Nico. So I would think that that 10 seconds difference um, that... That maybe Bottas was in was further back than what Nico would have been, uh, is probably down to the fact that he knows he's number two driver. So there's not really any point in, uh, you know, wringing it out within an inch of its life because ultimately seconds all he's going to oh, seconds all he needs, seconds all he's got to play for this season. 
So I think that's where the difference comes in. I think it is definitely a mentality thing, but that mentality of Bottas comes from the fact that it's so he must feel it. It must be very clear to him. If we can all see it, that he's clearly number two, then he must know himself in his heart of hearts, like seconds all I've got to play for realistically, like this season and probably next season if he's still there, he's not really going to be allowed to win the world championship. So what's the point in him you know, risking a DNF for that, he might as well just manage. And that's where the 20 seconds comes in it for me. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's pretty much where I thought. And I just, uh, I think. I think, but, I think he could have been closer if he tried harder. If he, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, there's probably, that he probably knows there's no point. And probably... I, I also have a theory that early on in the race, he was told to, you know, or, he understood he needed to hold up the people behind him yep. as he got yep. into second. Because he's Rubens. <laughs> and so is Kimmy now. And that's the way it is. And I'm okay with that because if it means we get a proper you know, heavyweight clash between Vettel and Lewis, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I, I got into Formula One. My first season that I started watching Formula One was 1999. So I got into Formula One when that was just the done thing, when Schumacher was the man and having a number two driver was just, that's the way it was. So I guess I'm kind of just accustomed to that just being the way of life of F1. And this is more, seeing Kimi back up Vettel and Bottas back up Lewis is more like me, it's like reverting to type. Like the, the Nico versus Lewis dynamic of two, te- two teammates legitimately battling for a world championship in the way that Prost and Senna did in the McLaren. I never seen that live at the time. So that to me was more of a strange situation than what we have now, whereas what we have now more feels like what I'm used to. Yeah, I think, you know, F1 ebbs and flows on that whole concept, really. Um, it's It's gone from, you know, literally taking a teammate's car to finish the race you know, in the fifties to kind of later on in the, in the game being more about individual drivers, even if they're in their team, you know, you have the two best drivers that you can and they race and see what happens. And then it flowed back into being more team-based in the eighties as more of the sort of smaller teams dropped off and the investment gets higher and, you know, a team's more suited to uh, ensure its investment in the team is seen to. Um, so that means managing your constructors and drivers' championships. I I'd struggle to see it flipping back again to individual drivers until such a time that the technology makes it uh, cheap enough for, for in- privateer teams to come into the sport or whether they truly bring on the concept of customer cars so that people can uh, race and can compete without the massive price bill. Uh, as you say, it's just just the way things are. I would prefer to see uh, Bottas and Kimi race their teammates, but if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. But it it's more of a problem for Bottas because... Um, He's got a year in that Mercedes seat and then they could replace him with whoever they want. Yep. The thing is, if he comes second and they win the Constructors' Championship, 
they probably view that as job well done. If, um, maybe if, if, if he backs up Hamilton to a drivers championship and then Mercedes win the constructors championship. He, well, yeah, he's he's, he's done a, enough, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing to aim for in your one shot. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it must be difficult you can for say him. That, you, know? you can say that you've done the team game. You, you can say you've done what the team has asked, but if you don't shine whilst doing that, then, mm-hmm. you know, a Daniel Ricciardo might seem like a, a better, you know, better choice or a Carlos Sainz or... Yeah. You know, no, and an, an, an Esteban Ocon. If we're, it must be know. tricky for, for Bottas to get the balance between shining and not upsetting the apple cut and it's not it can't be an easy role for him to fill of but um i don't know i think we're i don't know i think we'd be a little bit harsh on him this little bit i think hamilton was just imperious mostly six wins around around montreal he's tough to beat there sure um danny rick you know kind of inherits third place by um well, I mean, bits you, falling you, off Seb's car, Kimmy's brakes going off. So, so you have to and... sort of talk about third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all kind of blocked together because they were that all intertwined in each other in the race, weren't they? So yeah, and you've also got then got to insert Max Verstappen. Max, of course, well. yeah. I'll be honest. When Max went out, I think I went. That's what he gets for taking Kimmy's front wing at the first corner. <laughs> <laughs> that was so better, so better. Uh, not Kimmy's front wing, sorry, Seb's front wing. <laughs> Yeah, Danny Ricardo. Uh, he did his job well today. Uh, he bent, like you say, benefited from from a few uh, rather um, sloppy. You know, Vettel's losing the wing and the Force Indias, whatever was going on there. But uh, he he managed to hold that train up and 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 then keep keep it keep it where it was. And he had the benefit of the clean air to to manage his pace. And he did a good job, a good a good third for Red Bull, who we've already talked about her pretty much don't look like winning a Grand Prix, really. So a third's a decent result for them. Do you think Max would have finished ahead of Danny if uh, we'd stayed on the track? Uh, it engine breakdown. It Max- seemed like Max was on a bit of a a race, didn't he? Um, he looked feisty, and that start was excellent. Uh, what did you make of the start? All fair? Yeah, I was... Initially, I thought that, um, that Bottas had... Uh, quite significantly cut the first corner uh, gone across the grass because um, it did look like he was about to collect Lewis on the opposite side of the road um, but on the replays uh, you could see that he, he took a lot of the curb but not uh, not actually a horrendous amount and um, Seb was a long way away in the middle of the track from where he was um, Seb was a little bit tentative I think going into that first corner must be difficult because you know you you obviously know that you can't win anything on the the first corner so uh, but you can lose everything you know um you know as as it was he lost a piece of his front wing um but it could have been a lot worse if you know Bottas had bounced across the curb and um taken out the front of his car um so it's difficult to blame him for that but it, it it preceded everything else going in front of it, which just made his life that much more difficult. The fact that he brought it back to to fourth is probably, a, you know, nearly as good as when, you know, Button took it from twice being last to winning the race. Um, what did you think of the Ferrari call to go to the second second tyre stop? 
Oh, I thought that was smart. I liked um, it. I was. I liked, liked it. And they stuck Kimmy on them for two or three laps first. Yeah. This could do. And Kimmy well, posted a Kimmy popped in a fastest lap on his second lap on them about a second and a half quicker. So to me, that was good. Good management from Ferrari to say, right, put put Kimmy on the quicker tire uh, and see what times he can do. And then they'll be able to work out if he did the same for Seb, would Seb be able to catch them, uh, the Force Indians and, and Ricardo? And by doing that, they sent Kimmy out. Kimmy goes a second and a, a, second and a half a lap quicker than the Force Indians right away. So they were able to go, okay, it's clearly working, bring in Seb. And Seb smashed five or six cracking laps as he did in Monaco. Mm. And, and got the job done. So again, I think major credit goes to goes to Vettel to to come back from where he was because he was driving like a man possessed towards the end to get oh, the wow. um, yeah to get the Force Indias. Um, and uh, you know it's frustrating from the start that we were let down of a a battle with Lewis. But if he wins the World Championship by ten points, this could look to this race as being one of the absolute key. If he finishes eighth this race instead of fourth, you know, it could be the difference between a Mm-hmm. championship or not so I was very happy in the end with a with a with a result given where it could have been despite despite what we what we missed out on um and yeah the, the call for Ferrari was absolutely the right call in that situation I always love to see the team take a gamble put the quicker tire on because if they stay where they are they just if everybody stays in the same tire then everybody's just going to more or less stay in the same position where at least if one team mixes it up and goes for it it puts the frighteners on everybody else and either they respond or they try and hang on and you get a close battle towards the end. But it just creates a whole different dynamic. Whereas when you get 30 laps to go and everybody in the top eight kind of just all sort of looks around at each other and goes, yeah, well, we'll just stay on these to the end then, yeah? Even if they degrade and we're all slow at the end. But if we all stay on them, we'll all be equally slow. So it'll just be fine. Yeah. That's, that's boring. That's no use to anybody. So as, as long as one team takes the punt in that situation, you either get everybody taking having to change, and then it's interesting, or some doing, some don't, and it's still interesting. So, but there's nothing worse than when everybody just accepts, let's just trundle around on no grip tires for the last ten laps. That's that's the biggest problem with the tires in the last five years. So it was great to see Ferrari take the take the pop make, and make and make it work. You know, it's good to see it. Good to see that it paid off for them. Um. I want to talk about Force India. What did you make yeah. of the Force India battle? Well, that was brilliant. It was brilliant stuff. I was really enjoying well, it. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> oh, um, that's somebody with no concept of timing. Just let that ring off. It being Joe. Done. Um, yes and no on that Um, it was I'm left frustrated that um, that Sergio Perez has played the game and um, his rookie teammate has followed team orders. Um, but Ocon was trying to get past, though. It wasn't like he was holding his position. Well, he Ocon. was, though. But he was. That's that's the whole point, is that he was coming up behind his teammate. 
And what's the worst thing that you can do in F1, Sean? Take your teammate out. <laughs> so he goes, I could probably pass him or I can pass him. But if it all goes, you know, belly up, then we, we get no points and we're running in a high thing. So he does the sensible thing, which is talk to his team and say, look, I'm faster than them at the moment. Can you get him to let me through? Uh, and the team go, okay, Sergio, let him through. If he goes through and he can, he doesn't pass Ricardo, then um, we'll let you go through. And Sergio just goes on and on and on. Whilst they're obviously telling Ocon, we're talking to Sergio, he's going to let you pass, just bear with us, blah, blah, blah. Um, up until the point where, um, you know, Vettel comes up behind them and then suddenly the whole thing, you know, kicks off and there's a suddenly a Ferrari between Perez and Ocon. So he knows that, you know, to, to get it even back to being a fight, um, is going to take them the last few laps because there were, you know, there was only three laps left by it. And I just, I just felt it was the most disingenuous, um, dirty <laughs> tactic because it's not playing the team game. From somebody who said that he's a team, he said he's a team player in the in the past. I felt it was just so, like, you know, and he's benefited from being let through in the past as well. Yep. Um, so do you think he should have let him through? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have the an interest. Told him to. The team told him to. And if we say that team orders are okay, then yeah. the person who pays your wages, you shouldn't be saying, mm-hmm. "Oh well, I don't want to do that." It's you know, the team pays the driver millions of pounds. They spend millions of pounds driving the car. If that's what they want to say, then that's what has to go. You know, unless you own the team, you know, unless you're Marcus Ericsson. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> then I have, a, I have an interesting question I'd like you to answer do you think Perez would have reacted the exact same way if Nico Hulkenberg was behind him in the same car last season uh, yeah I think he would have or do you think it's because Ocon was a rookie and he didn't want to let a rookie by no I mean I think he. I think it was made oh, easier by the fact that it was Ocon because I think Hulkenberg would have gotten more frustrated quicker and probably done something about it um, mm-hmm. Because Hulkenberg's a veteran. Do you think, um, I think Perez would have done the same, acted the exact same way, regardless of who was behind him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think okay, that's fair enough. I, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I was just curious to see what you think because I wasn't sure whether you were insinuating that because it was a rookie, he felt he could act, act I, the big man. I'm, 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 the, I'm, the, I'm the experienced guy. I, I, I'm the number one, essentially. I think it probably came to him sooner because he realised that Ocon was holding station whilst the negotiation process was going on. Um, and ultimately, he should have let him through because well, first and foremost, forget forget even forget even it's t- Ocon's got thirteen lap pressure tires on, so he has he has to be at least given the opportunity. And the team were absolutely spot on. Ocon was right to ask, and the team were spot on in, their, in what they were asking Perez to do. He had, he had 13, 13 lap younger tyres, so he had to have a, he had to be a, allowed a shot at him. So I absolutely agree. Perez should have let him through. Yeah, I mean that's that's ultimately what it. Um... Having said that, as a neutral who doesn't have a predictable, I mean, <laughs> I don't have a dog in a fight with either guy or the team. 
very entertaining to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and certainly the last the last couple of laps where Ocon got himself right back on him and was trying to overtake him. But you could see that, you know, he'd go for an overtake and then be like, oh, this is going to get dicey. And then it and, wouldn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, Perez is, you know, experienced enough to know that that's likely to be the case with a, with a rookie teammate. He, he, in those situations, he certainly can, you know, probably bully his way on the track, track a bit more because um, it's somebody new to the team trying to make their best impression trying to score points and do other bits and pieces that they're not going to be as risky as you know a teammate like Hulkenberg would be who's equally as experienced should have been equally well thought of in the team and all those bits and pieces so uh it you know it was good good fun and it and it it helped the narrative of the race a lot that we had it to talk about but it it's really soured me a bit on Sergio Perez really who I always kind of thought was a nice guy I, I thought he was kind of a genuine guy who just, you know, rolled with the punches sort of thing. But now I feel I'm kind of a bit like, uh, that kind of puts all of your all of your little bitter comments about McLaren in perspective. You know, uh, I think there's a there's a streak in Sergio that may have just popped up into public view today that maybe wasn't, you know, wasn't really all that visible. Do you not think there's an element to say? Uh, you know, let them race. They let them race. Argument. Is that well, then, not... then um, that's what they should have said. They shouldn't have said to Ocon. So, as, as it specifically the fact that he has, he was he was told by his team yeah. to do something. Instead of and saying, he hasn't done it. instead of saying, I would have had more respect for him. He said, "No, I'm not going to do that. He has to pass me." If he'd have just said that, but he said, "Oh, I'm doing this. Let let us race. Let us race." I'd rather he'd have just said. No, I'm I'm not pulling over for him. I don't care what you say. I could have <laughs> at least gone. Well, he told him. He said, <laughs> and then Ocon has uh, 16 laps or however many laps it is left of the race that he caught up in the back of him to overtake him. Yeah. He doesn't get two laps right at the end because Sergio has managed to massage him staying behind him for 10 laps, um, okay. and then had a Ferrari, st- you know, insinuate itself in between them. So that's. That's why I, you know it, it gets to where it is. Let them race is is absolutely all fine, and I'm quite happy to say um, if you say there are no team orders, then that's another thing. If we said that team orders were totally banned, and everybody had to pass each other, and they just had to pass, and there were no blue flags either, do you know what I mean? You had to pass the cars up that were on track. That was it. Then you know you probably have more of a point, and I'd probably be more like you know, well, yeah, then Oaken should just get on and do the job, but. I felt he wasn't allowed to do the job because the team were not strong. Because uh, Sergio strung out, yeah. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You think that it cost Leocon the best part of 10 plus laps because they were too busy messing around trying to yeah. negotiate with Sergio. Yeah, I yeah see something like that. Fair enough. Um, no, I don't have a strong opinion. I was just curious to know what you thought. No, that's fine. It's, it is something that I personally felt was a bit scummy. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Sticks in the crawl. Uh, Kimmy had break problems. Uh, Nick not unusual. No, not unusual at Montreal. Break problems. Uh, it does happen. It's a shame that Kimi Räikkönen does seem to have that Felipe Massa syndrome in the second Ferrari. I've said it many times before, and I'll yes. say it again: something goes wrong, it will happen to that car. And uh, you know, the conspiracy theorists will be out saying, "Oh, it was convenient they had break problems just as she was coming up behind them." But you know, I don't think. They, they, I mean, if you listen to the radio, there was about there was about ten <laughs> minutes of very frantic negotiations. Got a forty-two. 
<laughs> I mean, it sounded pretty grim. Um, and then he was lucky to hang on to seventh. He was losing a lot of time at one point. Yeah. So uh, it is what it is. It wasn't a good weekend for Ferrari on the whole, with Vettel's misdemeanors and Raikkonen not having, not really having the pace either, to be honest. Um, even then, like he was sort of struggling on the tyres and just didn't seem to have quite like the pace that we hoped they would have. Uh, I'm not really sure why that would be, to be honest. Something might come out to light in future about that. I'm not really sure. Just didn't quite have the race pace that we kind of hoped they would. No. So damage limitation for Ferrari. Seb gets away at the top of the leaderboard still. Kimi still manages to salvage some points. So move on. Move on. Nico Hulkenberg. Nico Hulkenberg picks up Renault's sort of customary about eighth place. Seems yep. to be about right that that's what he scores the points for um Renault. I hate to make this uh <clears throat> make this the official bash Julian podcast, but um <laughs> another another points finish for Hockenberg and another not points finish for Palmer at the end of the day. And another long way of, points. Which is know. kind of what we said Palmer had to avoid. And he really needed to start matching Hockenberg at the very least or looking like he was threatening the points. And once again today didn't and you know what? I honestly can't remember seeing him on track once. I don't know what he did all, all race. And that's because there was lots of good action going on with the Force Indias and, and the Ferraris, but I genuinely can't remember seeing Palmer at all. Whereas I've seen loads of Lance Strong. I know it was Canada, so we we're probably going to get to see yeah. a lot of him because he's Canadian. But, but he did lo- a lot. Yeah, and I've seen loads of Fiat before he, fin- before he went out. And <laughs> we heard a lot of Kia. And I've seen, I've seen loads of the McLarens, both of them. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember seeing anything from Palmer at all. Or the Saubers. No. And that's that's not a good category Julian wants to be in. The forgotten with the Saubers category. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty grim place to be in, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, you know, Robert Kubica just had a test last week in the in an old Renault, 110 Formula One, 110 laps in a Formula One car is yeah. with that with half a hand, you know. So I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> say we should discuss that after actually. Oh, we're blowing the surprise. Oh no. No, no. But uh, <laughs> no. it was it was definitely going to be brought up at, at probably at some point. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, we've jumped from from talking about the top ten to talking about Julian. But I just thought because we mentioned Hulkenberg, it was probably the right time to talk about him because because it is all coming down to that teammate battle. You know, one of those guys is going to stay, and one of those guys is probably <laughs> going to leave. And right now, it's, it's about ten nil to to Hulkenberg. <laughs> I've just thought about something. Doesn't Lance Stroll now have more career points than Julian Palmer? How many points did Palmer get last season? I don't know off the top of my head. He got one tenth place was his only point. Is that right? I'm pretty sure it was. Does Julian Palmer only have one career point in Formula One? I think so. That's a really bad stat. Like that's really concerning. (laughs) Let me just have a check. I just don't want to. um... I'm going. I'm checking right now, so I might beat you to it. Uh, yeah, he has one point. One point, has and then Lance Stroll has two. That's pretty rubbish. He's <laughs> <laughs> not good, is it? Really? It's a really bad stat, especially when Nico Hulkenberg already has like what fifteen this season or something. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good stat. He, he's in trouble, man. And we go on and about it every week, but that's a that, really bad. That may feel unfair, really, because we're not chucking Stoffel Van Dorn in in either of those categories. Um, I'm not chucking anybody who drives a McLaren anywhere. They've got their no. own problems. <laughs> and, and, and that kind of comes down to it. Although he's the the 
biggest problem Stoffel's got at the moment. If you if you consider um, Palmer to Hulkenberg and Stroll to Massa, um, whilst yeah. there is a gap, they're not like golfs. Do you know what I mean? But you're talking uh, about Stoffel uh, Van Dorn versus probably the best driver on the grid. Yeah, and Alonso has zero points too. Like if, yeah. if Alonso had 15, 20 points and Van Dorn had none, then maybe we'd say, oh, Stoffel should maybe be doing a bit better. But Fernando's not got got that points finish and if Fernando Alonso can't get it their points finish then nobody else no, can. You're, no, <laughs> so, that's, but that's not quite what I mean the, the, I mean the, the the gap in performance is about the same just, for all of those things take, so you think out points. to Palmer Massa to Massa to Stroll Alonso to Van Dorn the places in between them are about right. the same okay. but I think what but it, that doesn't take into account the fact that Alonso is dragging that car in a way that probably only he is capable yeah. of doing. Yeah. To being think, that far ahead. I think with McLaren, you know, it, they are such a basket case that you kind of have to take them on their own merit. They, you know, whereas Stroll to Massa is a much more fairer comparison with Palmer and, and Hulkenberg, I think. Whereas with the McLaren, it's kind of like, you know, they never, they never finish the race for a bit for a start. So how can you truly judge them when they hardly ever get to the checkered flag? You know, they're breaking down everywhere. They're taking grid penalties galore because of all the breaking down. Like so, they're they're kind of their own little thing going on. Um, whereas whereas I think the comparison between the Williams guys versus the Renault guys is a much more interesting. That that feels more like for like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 it's actually quite similar. Um, there's actually 18 points between Hulkenberg and Palmer, and after today, there's 18 points between. Massa and Stroll. Huh. So they are, the comparisons are like for like. The problem Palmer then has, if you start looking at, at those two teams, is Palmer's had a season under his belt. Lance has just turned up and looked so, so inexperienced in the first two or three races. Mm-hmm. And Palmer is a GP2 champion. He's a lot older than Stroll, or a few years older than Stroll anyway, um, and has had a full season under his belt. So again, I, I don't know, man. What? I I don't think he's good enough. I think ultimately. Let's uh, let's move away from that. Back to well, let's go back to Lance Stroll. Really, ninth place. Ninth place. Yes, yeah, nice uh, segue into into Lance. Best, clearly, his best result of of his um career so far best drive um, as well though isn't it yeah I think that's... oh yeah best all-round package for sure yeah on his home track which is very nice you know, always helps yeah the first um first canadian not called villeneuve to that's a brilliant points. that's a brilliant statistic i love that stat <laughs> first canadian i love, I love that it's anywhere as well it's not even at just at the canadian grand prix it's like yeah no no, no other canadian <laughs> other than a villeneuve <laughs> points so uh, yeah, yeah, bless him. He was much, much better today. He seemed much more committed. Seemed much more in control of the car, um, which is kind of what we said we would hope to see, didn't we? We did say yeah. we'd give him, we'd give him till the mid-season. He's doing it's what like, we said we needed from Palmer, isn't it? Basically, yeah. which is to improve and improve and keep on improving and start doing bits and pieces and then go from there. Yeah, he's getting just about past marks at this point, and. But I want to continue to see some progression throughout the rest of the season. But today yep. was easily his best drive, so fair credit where it's due. Um, and and it's the kind of drive that, like we like we said, that Palmer needs badly. Just two points, two points would relieve all the pressure in the world. Yeah. Um, 
for, for Julian Palmer. Lance has got that off his back today. He's got his first point, Formula One points on the board. He will never go down in history as not having scored a Formula One point. No matter what he does in his career, he's a Formula One point scorer. So he's got that monkey off his back. And like you say, he did it with a good drive as well. And we've seen quite a lot of him. I don't know whether it was because Grand Prix, whether the directors or whatever was showing him, or he was dicing and he was fighting and he was yeah, he was scrapping away with Magnussen especially and mm-hmm. um, and Hulkenberg. You know, he was in that train, which was good. Um, to be fair, the Williams should have been decent there. To be fair, you know, power power dominated circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Williams should should have been pretty good there, but he did he did what he had to do. Uh, yeah, good for him. Now the Roman, test will come going forward to see if he keeps improving. Roman Grosjean um, clears up the, the points in 10th. Um, uh, there's a whole group of people there, isn't there? If you talk about 10th to 15th, well, maybe not 15th because stuff, uh, you know, it, it worries me seeing Marcus Ericsson ahead of Stoffel. Uh, I don't really know what happened there. Um, I feel like Vandal needs to be he- ahead of all of the Salvers. This just shouldn't really be a, a point where that's a race. Uh, Was there any tech problems? No. Stoffel? He seems slow all weekend. Uh, whether that's just an experience thing that, um, you know, driving such an un- underpowered and undrivable car, he needs to understand where he can make up the difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that obviously Alonso can. Yeah. And that is just experience. You know, let's, let's not be fair. This is, you know, his first actual season in Formula 1. He's had one Formula 1 race before this weekend and he's driving a dog car. Um, well, he's not. He's driving a great car with a dock engine in it, it would appear. Um, I would say I, I'm still very much of the opinion that Stoffel's going to get the whole season from me personally as a pass. Yeah, um, and absolutely. That, and the way that I gave Renault the pass last year as a team, whatever Renault did last year was garbage, but they got away with it because of the circumstances that surrounded them coming back into the sport as a manufacturer. And I wanted to see improvement this year. And we have seen it. Hulkenberg is scoring consistent points. Van Van Dorm is similar. He's getting a, a pass because of the situation that he's in at that McLaren, where it is such just a nightmare for everybody. I mean, it's driving Alonso to just a genuine insanity. So, um, Stoffel will get all season from me. And even if he's behind Marcus Ericsson for some of those races, next season is when I'm going to be judging Stoffel. Mm-hmm. Um, Magnussen had a bit of an eventful race. Um... He's in the end finished 12th, but it looked like he was, you know, flirting with the point scorers for a while. So, he got, did he get some kind of penalty? For, oh, I'm not he, sure. Yeah, he got done for um, overtaking under the oh, yeah. safety car. Oh, that was a bit harsh, but in the end, he did do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he was only, he only ever took Van Dorn, and that was like quantum, quantum and inevitability was going on with that one. It was always going to happen regardless. So, when you just let him get on and do it, um, it was a little I'm, harsh. I'm very pleased with Kevin Magnussen. Um, I know he's had a bit more time in Formula 1, and so, you know, he's not a rookie rookie. But he is keeping Roman Grosjean very honest. 
there is not the gap between teammates like there is in the other teams. Yeah, think, that's fair. I think that's a, a sterling endorsement about him as a driver in that he's chopped and changed teams, you know, three out of the four seasons I think he's been in Formula One and it's not affected his ability. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we know how good Grosjean is. We've long since been quite, you know, the modern Grosjean, not, not, not the after Spa. Uh, yeah, you know, Grosjean was much improved. This is Roman Grosjean that was scoring a lot of podiums back in the Lotus days and stuff. Roman Grosjean was a good yardstick, and I agree with you, Magnussen is keeping him honest. Uh, and he's just come into that team, so there's scope for progression for Kevin, you know, as, as he becomes more and more accustomed to that car and those surroundings. So there's, there's definitely a scope for him to continue to improve. Uh, he's certainly a cut above Palmer, Ericsson, mm-hmm. And stroll at this stage. Um, and certainly, their line as well. It, it seems to me. He's, yeah, yeah. He's certainly very much in the category above them. If he and he's, he's somewhere in between that category and the, I'd probably stick Hulkenberg, Grosjean, and Perez sort of in the same category. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Magnussen is somewhere between that category and then the he's category. Just latching onto the onto the to the end of those people, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Esteban Ocon, go back just very briefly for Cindy, is another interesting one. Kind of, I'm, I'm warming to him. And he's sort of somewhere flirting in between there as well. I'm struggling. I'm not, he's clearly nowhere on the level of the Hockenbergs and the, and the more experienced guys. But for me, he already feels like he's better than, Matt, uh, better than Palmer and um, Stroll and Ericsson for sure. Verline yet to really see what he can do given that he's driving a bit of a dog of a casual. He's a bit like Van Dorn for me. He's get, he'll get a bit of time when, and, and hopefully at some stage of the next year or two he'll get something with a bit more grunt underneath him and we might be able to see what he can do. So Fairline and Van Dorn, I'm kind of leaving out of it at the moment. Whereas Ericsson, we know what he can do and it's nothing particularly <laughs> special. You should have just said nothing. <laughs> possibly Palmer is in that category as well right now and unless he bucks up his ideas he'll remain there and Stroll well he's yeah he's done something now isn't he yeah you can give you hope yeah but yeah so Magnussen is definitely latching on to that Hulkenberg Perez Grosjean crew of okay if a big drive comes up his hat's in the ring he might not get one but you know he's in the meeting Mm -hmm. uh Ocon is the interesting one of what can he, he impressed me today, even with you know Very. The, with the farce that ended up being the Perez Ocon situation. He was you know he's been in the points pretty much every single weekend, and you know he's keeping Sergio. The way you say Magnus is keeping Grosjean honest, Ocon's keeping Sergio Perez very honest, and you know how good Perez is, is as a Formula One driver. So yeah, two guys there, Magnus and Ocon, that certainly have something to. You know, future's bright, you know, something to offer. Um, so Max was stepping out with a battery issue. Yeah, a shame because he was looking mighty. He had a great start, um, but at the same time, I did smile because he took my boy out at the first corner. <laughs> um, we never talked about the crash, the first corner just, incident. I was just going to get to that. Signs, <laughs> signs, and mass out in the first corner. Uh, what did you make of that? <laughs> I have no idea what Carlos Sainz thought he was doing. 
I have no but, idea what he thought was going to happen by him. Yeah, and Grosjean's team radio said it all. It was just like, what on earth happened there? Like, what was he doing? Like, yeah, it was a mad one from Carlos. Uh, he'll have to take the blame for that one. Yeah, um, serious shunt as well. Silliness, just silliness, um, and potentially so dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have I taken sh- very much for for somebody to dig into the the grass or something like that and flick up in the air. And it's quite a low barrier as you go into that that, that corner. Surprises me somewhat that yeah, because anybody who listens to the show, it, it just goes high, doesn't it? Really, everybody knows how big a fan we both are of Carlos Sainz. So it's a bit, you know, a bit strange that that one. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, and Danny Kvyat had, um, I don't know, possibly the worst race anybody could have <laughs> could have had. Stalls on the grid. Retakes his grid slot, so then gets a drive-through penalty, and then gets told, "Actually, <laughs> that, that wasn't shouldn't have given you that one. You should have. Ha- you should clearly what you should have had is a ten-second stop go. Yeah, yeah. So they just added ten seconds on. Yeah, <laughs> just, just like madness. Ah, right, great. <laughs> and then, um, then has some kind of wheel trouble or something like that. Comes in, sits in the pits, tells him to turn off the car. They bring out their super softs, then they go." The best bit was when the guy brought out one soft <laughs> yeah. tire at the back, and I was just about to go, "No, no, no! Hang on a minute. Have you really I gone? Was... We've lost one of our tires. Don't worry about it, lads. I'm going to stick a soft on one side. It's just I was, I was absolutely praying that they were going to send them with one color wrong, like that time they did it to Bottas, because I don't, I cannot explain." why that cracks me up so much but it just does the idea of having three wheels on your wagon one color and one the other color i just i i, I can't explain it but there's something about that image when bottas did it that just i laughed forever like oh was, i was praying they were going to send him off with it with the wrong color but i can't remember he wasn't ex- bottas wasn't excluded though was he for that i think he just had to come in and change it did he just have to come in and change it <laughs> I just wonder what they would do if somebody that had said, oh, <laughs> just, not be funny. I don't have any, I don't have any tires to change back to. That's the whole reason it's on there. I think it's just, I think it's because it's so amateur. Like you've got like 40, 40 of the most highly trained, highly skilled mechanics you can find in the world. And they can't spot that three are one color and one is a different color. Like it's so, so pathetic that it just like, cracks me up. But, um, yeah, I think he ended up putting tires on, go back out, and then coming back in anyway. Did he a dud engine or something in the end? Fiat, did he? They sent him back out and he came back in about a lap later, no? Uh, two laps later, yeah, so, basically. Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was all she wrote anyway from, from that point. But... <laughs> he kept the senses busy though. On the, <laughs> oh, it's not well. often you hear the team say, mind your language on the thing because they usually let them get away with it. But I think he used a particularly. Um, yeah, but yeah, they, they managed to bleep it. I think they more or less managed to bleep it. I think I, they I, did. I wasn't quite sure because Sky apologised yeah. for it, his his language, and I was just like, "Oh, I thought they bleeped it." It did sound like they bleep it, but I think they bleeped it. But you could tell what it was, so that's probably why they apologised. Because even though they bleeped it, you could clearly tell what he said. Um, and and then um, David Croft said, "Oh, these 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 you know young." People that are English isn't their first language. They don't 
they're saying kind of thing. I was like, well, <laughs> what, does, my... what about what about Nicky Lauda? Nicky Lauda swears all the time on live television, <laughs> and he's nine hundred years old. Yes. I thought he'd have learned by now. Exactly. So I wasn't really buying that from Crofty. No. Like, but um, <laughs> hey ho, ah, that that is what it is. You see that in uh, the. I, I don't have a problem with it, but yeah, you can see why Sky apologised. Yeah, I I quite like it. I don't I don't mind them doing it. I, it shows it, they're it, human, man. So. It would, and, I, and there's a bit of me that would be kind of like, I wish there was like um, like uh, like a parental control lock on it, so that you could listen to it un, unfiltered. That would be brilliant. That would be awesome. I would, yeah, that that would imagine Kimmy and Vettel as well. Like they're prepared for it, so. So, yeah, Canada. It was good. Best race of the season, I think. Better yeah, than China yeah. And, um, and I think that's Oscars. probably fair. It usually uh, is. It's always good. Yeah, I mean, so, sometimes it gets a bit... Sometimes it can get a bit strung out um, because it's a power circuit. So you get that weird concertina effect where um, people get close and then on the straights, people pull away and it doesn't, you know maintains itself sometimes but this was just just great all action all up and down the field and and bits and pieces oh do you know who we didn't to uh, talk about uh he's not on my list and i don't know why he's not on my list but he was he was running in 10th about to score the first point for his team of the season before his engine oh fernando retired. yeah right enough of course yeah some reason you must be looking at the same list as me you must have stuck him in the dns uh, yeah, uh, yeah, his engine went. <laughs> yeah, you know, just just cut and paste uh, a conversation we've had about Fernando Alonso from well, the week before. <laughs> I, I kind of want to get to the point now, and I said it on Twitter, which is, well, I actually wouldn't blame Fernando if he quit now, if, if yeah. he left and said, um, this is just a waste of my time. There's no point in me driving the best I've ever driven probably in my career for the engine to give up every single race and it's it might as well be every single race Mm -hmm. and i think the only reason that van dorn is not having the same number is because he's not pushing the car as hard hard as fernando is currently because he's he's learning to drive in f1 uh but i've i have lost all patience with honda if they could have just made it through this race with both cars I'd have gone, well, at least that gives you some hope that there's some reliability in the updates that they've brought. But they haven't brought any speed. They haven't brought any reliability. They haven't brought any drivability. What have they done? What was this uh, this upgrade yeah. that they brought at Monaco? It's nothing. They haven't brought anything. And it's just it's just gone past the point where there's there is an excusable edge to say, you know, this is this is good enough. It's not good enough, uh, and it's certainly not good enough for Fernando Alonso at this at this point. Um, I agree. And I, I, you know, before the race when everybody was going, well, McLaren will go back to Mercedes next year. I was a bit like, no, they probably won't. And actually, now I'm like, yeah, they probably will. I, I think they, they will. Do. Do you know what was interesting for me is that Brando said he expected it. And if Brando yeah. says he expects McLaren to go for a Mercedes, his finger is normally not far from the pulse. So, you know, 
It certainly looks a hell of a lot more likely than it did two or three months ago, that's for sure. However, the one thing that obviously the terrible Honda engine in the McLaren has given us is some of the best Alonso moments of his career, ha, really. I love him so much. He's my and wandering into the crowd to throw his gloves and take selfies with his helmet on and stuff. I love that man. He's worked his way into like serious, serious territory in my heart of favourite sportsmen of like like of every sport, uh, and I follow pretty much every single sport religiously. He's he's as good. He's in my heart there with as as pretty much anybody in the world as as my favourite sportsman, and it seems a good time as any to discuss his <laughs> briefly discuss his Indy five hundred um, uh, <laughs> experiment. And yeah. I mean, could have won it. Absolutely could have won it. Absolutely. Uh, could have won it. 100% would have been there right at the death if it wasn't for, tell me again, what went wrong? Oh, wait. Are you, what, you're saying a Honda engine blew up? No <laughs> way. I don't believe that. <laughs> well, and and the the, the irony that the, uh, the Honda engine that, that won was in the only Japanese driver on the fields. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to talk conspiracy theories, then that's... Which, <laughs> by the way... Well done to Kumasato. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> his his roar as he went over there, his shouts as he went over the line were amazing. Just uh, like the best, like more, you know, when like when um, Nico won, won his first race and, and when Vettel won their first races and they were really sort of screaming at the top of the line. Takumasato just blew all of those out of the water. It was a <laughs> to get to a whole like, level, brother. Yeah. Uh, it was, I really enjoyed watching it, but it was mental. It is an absolutely mental sport. Uh, the amount of caution flags and it's just a complete random lottery at times. You had guys like Max Schilling just popping up in first for a substantial yeah. period of the race. I had no idea how he got there. I got flicked over to a different channel, came back and Chilton went from like 15th to first. I was like, Wait, how is he there? And then he looked like he was um, going to hang on for a podium position at one stage. He drove an excellent race, I thought. Yeah. Um, did, you see, did you see the Scott Dixon accident? I bet Scott Dixon to win <laughs> the whole thing because I wanted to have a bet on it because I was going to watch it. And I went in and I was like, well, I wanted to bet Fernando, but he was favourite. And I, I thought, I don't want to bet him if he's favourite. I'll try and, I'll try somebody else. And I'd caught qualifying and I remember Scott Dixon being really fast in qualifying and he was one of the only people that I knew. So I was like, okay, I'll have a little bet on Scott Dixon just because I'm going to sit and watch it. That'll be fun. And then I seen the crash, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder who that is." And they called it. I was like, "Oh, that's Scott Dixon." I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that's my bet, Hampton." I was like, and I was like, "Oh, I hope he's okay as well." Priorities, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was an it was an absolute humbinger. It was, that was um, one of the worst crashes I've ever seen in my entire life. Did you see Helio Castroneves drive underneath? Yeah, literally his flying car. It was mental, absolutely mental. Um, what was more mental was t- 10 minutes later, he was given an interview in the pit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> well, when you can, when you consider that Sebastian Day was watching the, the race essentially from a hospital bed with a broken pelvis yeah. f- from hitting a wall flat, mental. you know, not lifting. That's what I mean, it's just a mental sport, like seriously. I mean, I imagine for guys like Alonso and these, you know, you know proper, proper uh, racers, it's an, a complete incredible thrill to compete in, but God, is it mental? Yeah, scary, scary stuff. Fernando will go back next year and have a serious, serious shot of winning it. If he gets a reliable car, there's no reason why he can't. He looked so good for most of that race for a man who'd never competed in it before. Like he was a bit tentative to begin. With. 
and then just looked so assured and so comfortable for you know ninety percent of the race. I would, I was, oh, I would have loved it if he won. I'm gutted that he's engine blew, but at the same time, there's something fantastically poetic about a Honda engine blowing up on. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, just to sort of round things off, hopefully, um, we were talking about it before. Robert Kubica did a 115 laps in a three-year-old Lotus, was it? Uh, yeah, one of the ones. One of the ones with the stupid nose at the front before they made the noses go go down. You remember when they, they had a wee step yep. nose? So that was a good two or three years ago now, I think. But yeah, good stuff. Very good stuff. Um, I love I love Robert Kibitzer. Think Kibitzer. actually come back? Would you, would you rather have Robert Kibitzer or Julian Palmer in the car? Well, it wasn't really... <laughs> That wasn't really, really my point. It's, it was more. Do you think he's capable of doing a full season in? Um, I wouldn't know truthfully. If he could do a hundred and fifteen lap test and not have any, I don't know how quick he was. Renault will have that kind of data, I assume. But um, put it this way, I don't think he could do any worse than Julian Palmer. And I think that, I think that Renault might be coming around to that conclusion as well. So to see him in the car at least till the end of the season. You know, maybe give him half a season and see how it goes. And if he's able to compete, then and and feel like he can do a full season next year, then and why not? That that seems like an obvious solution to me. To so you're not you're not having to commit to Robert doing a full season at once. Um, but I don't see why not at this point. And I would I would love to see him back in. And have I think seen... sorry, carry on. Have you seen a picture of his arm? I have not. No, is it? Does it look bad? <laughs> I say that tentatively. Yes. He his arm looks like the remnants of a doner kebab after a very heavy night out. I'm going to have to look this up. It's not pretty. He's got almost no muscle at all, all up his forearm and onto sort of the bottom half of his his upper arm. It's like a chicken kebab at the end of the night, like on the spits in a kebab shop. It's it's not pretty, and I don't see. I don't know if, especially with the kind of g-forces that the the current cars do, uh, I wonder if he'd be able to really uh, handle it. Uh, it'd be nice. He's certainly, um, certainly, you know, talented enough to do it if if his body will let him. Uh, and on that basis, I'd love to see him back. But I just, I have a feeling that he's not. I don't know if he's race ready. Who knows until he actually steps in, I suppose. Eh? Yeah, you'd, they'd have to give him an, F, an FP1 somewhere, wouldn't they? And... Well, that that would be the next logical step, you would think. Eh? But then if imagine if they took Palmer out of the car and put Kibitz in for an FP1. What does that say to Julian? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's essentially saying to Julian. I, I can't possibly imagine at this stage that Julian Palmer doesn't know exactly what's going on. Like, if, if um, you know, if they put Kibitz in for an FP1, and that's essentially, they might as well say to Julian, you're fired. Like, if, if, if he can compete, you're... I know, that's why I'm saying, like, maybe give him two or three races at the end of the season or something, if they, want, if they do want to get rid of Julian. Um, without having to commit to a whole season, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about his injury and things like that. So, 
fair enough. I mean, I mean, I have just seen a picture of his arm. It does look mental, doesn't it? Yes. It, it, it's surprising that it works at all, doesn't it, when you look at it? But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Is that... I take it there's no... Because I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm pretty is sure as, it's not going to get any better than that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, is that is that as good as it gets? As... Yeah, I think. I think when they said it, you know his arm was barely hanging on, I think that's that's what happens when your arm is barely hanging on. <laughs> um, such a shame. Such a shame. Could have been such a. Could have been so interesting to see where he'd have been driving now. I, I, yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion you'd have seen him in the second seat at Ferrari. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, think Kimmy would have been. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I fancied him for a Ferrari drive at some point as well. So. Yeah, would it even maybe at the Mercedes possibly? Could have been. Could, Could have been. been anything. Yeah. Let's see what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. So right, let's let's wrap things up now. I think that's uh, a good place to. <laughs> Call it quits. Two two Grand Prix in one show. Um, so, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, catch the podcast at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk on Twitter at lastlappodcast uh, on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, um, on Facebook as well, sort of. Um, Find us both on Twitter at Firebot Willow for Sean and at Mankelbegs for me. And with that, we shall head off into the distance and wait for. Oh God, it's Baku next. Mm, uh, yes. Is it oh next well. week or is it the week after? I don't know. Must be a two-week gap, I would think. I'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Two weeks. <clears throat> Come back from Canada. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. So. Uh, so yes, two 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 weeks. Hopefully after Baku you shall hear from us again. So once again, thanks very much for listening and tuning in and we will see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.